Good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning. We are glad you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning continues a series that we began a couple of months ago, and we're still in it. This is the ninth lesson in our series, and we are overcoming life's challenges, and life does bring about many challenges. Uh, last week's lesson was kind of a, a culmination of the things that we had talked about up to that point, um, but we, we kind of get into a little different segment of this uh, as we get into today's lesson, but we still are overcoming life's challenges. Today's lesson is maybe one of the harder lessons, overcoming the fear of death. Overcoming the fear of death. I will uh, tell you, this is not the first lesson that I've done on death. But it's been a while since I have done a lesson completely on the subject of death. But when I began preaching somewhere about 2006 or so, uh, I got to where I was visiting some different churches. And, and I, I remember my first lesson was For God So Loved the World. It was on Father's Day of, of that year. And so I decided to do the, that kind of a lesson for that Sunday night. At Science Hill, that was the first time that I ever preached a sermon. But the second sermon that I prepared was death. I had a, a friend of mine that had asked me what, what happens when someone dies. And, and from a scriptural standpoint, I tried to give her the best answer. And so I, I worked up a, a whole lesson on death. And my grandparents got really worried about me. Because it was the only lesson that I preached. For, for about a month or so after. I remember preaching it at New Zion, and I remember preaching it at Science Hill, and I was also preaching at Inner City some, so uh, I preached it at Riverdale for the Inner City service. And I know I did it at least three times, maybe more. Uh, I figured that, that since I had a different crowd each time that, that it would be okay to do that, uh, but it did worry my grandparents because they thought all I could preach on was death. But anyway, that's, that's just a, a little humorous thing, a little side note for our lesson today. Death is it's a hard subject because it's one that, that affects us all in some way or another. It, is it necessary for us to even go to the Bible to understand death? And think about it. We know a lot about death. And it's something that, that we laugh about sometimes. It's, it's something that we joke about. No one's getting out of here alive. You know, sometimes I, I, I've heard people say, you know, sometimes I get up in the morning and I look at the obituaries just to make sure I'm not there. If I ever find myself there, I have one friend that said, I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> we joke about it. Because in some ways it's not really a funny subject. And maybe it, it helps us to, to get past it to some degree. Many things about death can be realized with just a simple knowledge of the world around us. We look around us and we see people that have passed on. 
it, it was commented uh, not too long ago at, at one of our Friday night singings. I mentioned, you know, I remember the days when, whenever this, this particular singing, uh, Carthage, I remember when we used to have folding chairs all down the aisle, a very long auditorium, and it was packed. And now it seemed like about, about half were in attendance for that singing. And one lady said, well, you know, most of us have passed on. I said, you know, you've got a good point. Because a lot of the Friday night singers have passed on from this life. All of us are getting older. Even those who are recently born, we have to understand that we're all aging. We're all in an aging process. Even those at the prime of their life are aging and the body is in some ways deteriorating. We understand that from the world. But nevertheless, the inspired Word of God does remind us of the shortness of life. The wise woman of Tekoa, speaking to King David, said in 2 Samuel 14 and verse 14, For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Job, in Job 14 and verse 12, says, So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. We come to the New Testament and we read in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, we will all die. Death is spoken of as a, a finality in this life, and yet we know we know as Christians that death is not the end. Death is a fact, but how we face it makes all the difference when we face judgment. And that's basically what our lesson is about. How do we prepare ourselves for judgment? How do we prepare ourselves to leave this earth? What will I leave behind? Is something that we ponder. What will I leave behind for, for those that, that follow? How we face death makes a difference. This lesson has three points. First of all, we're going to look at, at accepting death. Then our second point is embracing death. Because it will happen. We have no doubt. May we as Christians embrace it. And not only that, but we're going to look at overcoming death. And the victory that we have even in facing it. But we begin with accepting death. Accepting death. Learning how to face death as a Christian means first accepting that death will occur both with those we love and eventually with even ourselves. And no one 
is excluded. Even if Christ comes first, we will still die in the sense that the life we now know will be no more. We have to accept it. You know, some people, they can't really deal with things because they, they refuse to accept them for what they are. We know that death is going to happen. But we have to accept it in order to face it. What does the Bible tell us about accepting death? Moses, inspired of God, said in Psalm 90 and verse 10. Psalm 90 and verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. That's not to say that people can't live beyond 70 and 80 years. We see people that do it all the time. You see sometimes on the, I think it's today that if they still do it, the the Smuckers commercials. And and they'll have who's turned 100 or, or 100 plus on many occasions. I don't know how old the, the oldest person uh, was to, to die or, or even who the oldest person is today that's alive. But, but we do find that this is a, an estimate. Most people don't live beyond 70 and 80 years or too much beyond them anyway. But, but basically his point was that, that life is fleeting. Their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. James, in James 4, verses 13 and 14, says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Tomorrow is not a promise. And though we make plans for tomorrow, we do not truly know what tomorrow will be for us. I know my plans. I have a lot of them. <laughs> Most of my days have a lot, a lot of things planned. But it may be that, that those things that I plan, such as going to work and going to work, it may be that those things don't come to pass for me. We don't know. There was a song, a very popular song, and maybe one of the, the best by Garth Brooks. If tomorrow never comes. And he pondered the, the thoughts of what if tomorrow never comes. My spouse knows how much I, I love her. In verse 15 of James 4, he says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live 
and to do this or that. And even today you have many people that, that will say, I try to say it often, uh, just as a reminder to myself, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. But we don't know. We really don't know. When I look at examples in Scripture, I, I see two people that needed to accept death. And there are others throughout Scripture, but these are the two that I've chosen to use in the lesson. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 2 through 5. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, up until what we read in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve knew nothing of death. They didn't know what it was. They hadn't experienced it yet because it didn't exist. But God had told them, if you eat of this certain fruit, you'll surely die. You'll surely die. And it wasn't that Eve was unaware of this whenever she committed the first recorded sin. She told the serpent, This is what God has said. You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And Satan tempted her with a very simple change, one that, that would almost go unnoticed. You will not. You will not surely die. But as a consequence of their sin, because they knew God's will and because they chose the wrong option anyway, death, as God had promised it, faced them. No, they didn't physically die that day. But they did begin the process of decay that leads to death. In Genesis 3 and verse 19, God tells them, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Speaking to Adam specifically, but we find that, that that's exactly what will happen to all of us at some point. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Because of their sin, death for us is also a reality and one that we need to accept. There's nothing that we can do to stop death from happening. Now you have all kinds of, 
of skin care products and, and things that, that can slow down the process of aging or at least look like they're slowing down the process of aging. But we're still aging. No amount of plastic surgery or anything else like that is going to stop someone from dying. There's no way for us to stop that. But what we can do is accept that we will one day die. And we can prepare ourselves for that. Embracing death. Embracing death. It almost sounds like an oxymoron. How can you embrace death? Though accepting death may be difficult, it is. It is not something that Christians should fear. We shouldn't fear death, but there are many people that do. Now there are many that, that rightfully so fear death because their eternity is not what they're going to want it to be. And for that reason, they have every right, every reason to fear death. But we as Christians, we have no reason to, to fear death. In writing to his Thessalonian brethren, Paul said of death in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The Thessalonians, they had a, a misconception about death. They thought that because Christ was coming back, because they were being taught that Christ was coming back, that the ones that had already died had no hope. They had no hope of, of seeing Him because they, they had died. But Paul corrects them in this, this thought, and he tells them, it's not what you think. You see, they're not going to miss anything. Those that have already passed from this life, they're not going to miss anything when Jesus does come back because the dead in Christ will be raised first. And we'll all be gathered together to meet Him in the air. And notice what Paul says in verse 18, Therefore comfort, therefore comfort one another with these words. These words were to be used in an effort to comfort the brethren regarding the death of their loved ones. As we overcome the, the frailties of our mortal body, death becomes a victory for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and beginning with verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, 
Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I pondered, what is the twinkling of an eye? don't know that I could, could describe it for you. But in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this, when this, Corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. We must put on incorruption, which means that this body of corruption will be done away with. We'll be given a new body. To inherit the kingdom of God, the, the death of our current body is necessary. But it is what leads us to immortality. Something that could only be found in Christ. Eternal life. Jesus conquered death. And he is the resurrection and the life. Following the death of Lazarus in John 11, and beginning with verse 20, John 11, verses 20 through 27. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Jesus, in this life, is our source of spiritual life. When we come out of that watery grave of baptism, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. And what is the reason for all of this? Jesus. We couldn't be raised to walk in the newness of life except that Jesus died for us. So that we could be forgiven. To give us reason for living. This life that we live in this earth. 
is only temporary. But we will live on. As the song says, I'll live on. And so we never die in Christ. Even though we may pass from this life, even so, we shall continue to live. And we know that in all of the, these things that God is with us, even in death. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It doesn't matter what man does to the physical body. But when I have the Lord on my side, what can man do to me? Even if I pass from the side, even if I die, I live on in Christ. In Psalm 23, in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I want you to notice, this is something that we have heard from our childhood up for the most part. I want you to notice what this verse does not say. It does not say there will be no evil that will come upon you. It doesn't say that, does it? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It doesn't mean that there will not be evil to come upon us. But what is it saying? What does it mean? I will fear no evil. Again, what can man do to me? I will fear no evil for you are with me. Doesn't mean that there's no evil in our lives, but we have no reason to fear the evil that may come upon us. What can man do to me? Overcoming death. Overcoming death. In facing death, we are looking for a grander existence in eternity. We have hope. Our hope is in, first of all, the eternal presence of our Lord. We go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look for a moment at verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. He will never part from us. He will never leave us. We'll be in His eternal presence. And our hope is in that fact. Our hope is in, again, a new body. 1 Corinthians 15, this time verse 19. We'll read verses 42 through 44. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. 
The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And the spiritual body is what lives on. Because of this hope, Paul could say of himself in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul was conflicted. He was conflicted between the physical life that he was living and the spiritual life that he would live. Which is better for me to stay here, to continue to work, or, or, or to be with the Lord? And it was because of this hope that Paul could look forward and see what eternity would be for him. And he knew it would be far better than anything that he would ever experience in this life. Of our hope in Christ, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 6. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. We have a living, a lively hope, depending on what translation you use. And it comes through the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we look at Scripture, believe it or not, we find blessing in death. Blessing in death. Revelation 14 and verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Blessed are the dead. Happy are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. How can any happiness be found in death? We look at our eternal home. We get a glimpse of it in, in Revelation 21 beginning with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Death is a passing from one life to another to a better existence than what we know today. As much of Revelation is symbolic, I, I believe these things to be symbolic uh, of things that we cannot understand. When we get to, to talking about the street of gold and, and gates of pearl and all of these other descriptions that we have of heaven, I believe those are, are symbolic of greatness. But greatness far beyond anything that our minds could ever comprehend in this life. In Psalm 116 and verse 15, Death is described as a precious thing in the eyes of God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Death is something that is difficult. It's difficult to, to lose loved ones. It's difficult to look forward and know that we ourselves will one day die. But even in looking at death, we find blessing. We find rejoicing. We have no reason to fear. The only thing that we need to fear regarding death is that we may be unprepared. The theme of Matthew chapter 25 is making sure that we as Christians are prepared. It begins with the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Some of them were wise and some of them were foolish. Some of them had, had extra oil for their lamps. They were ready and some of them were not. They tried to borrow from their friends and they couldn't do it. See, there are some things that we just cannot borrow. And some of them were unprepared. We have the parable of the talents also in Matthew 25. And we see three men that are given a number of talents. Two of them doubled theirs and one did nothing with what he had. And when the master came, he was unprepared. We come to verse 31 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. In verse 46, 
the wicked will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Judgment is basically a separation. A separation of the righteous from the wicked. Though in this life, in this life we're intermingled with those who are wicked. And we live among them. As is borne out in, in some of the parables of Jesus. There will come a day of separation. But what if we're unprepared? What if we are unprepared? You know your heart. I can't see your heart. God knows it, but, but I don't. But you know your heart. You know what eternity awaits you. If you're prepared, eternal life. If you're not, everlasting punishment. You know. You know how you lived before God. And you know whether or not you are prepared. If you're facing death and judgment unprepared, you know what will happen. And you know that you need to repent. And maybe it is that you need to, to come in obedience to the plan of salvation. Repentance, confession of faith, baptism for the remission of sins as the Scriptures tell us that we need to do. Maybe you've done that and maybe you've turned away from God. Maybe you've walked away from Him. Maybe you've wondered. Maybe you need to come back. If you're unprepared today, make whatever changes necessary. Let us help you if we can. Come. Let's together we stand and as we sing. Change that number to 538.